can I hear the first thing I heard when when I came on? Ugh. Yeah, someone a little uh, emotionally worn out. Yeah, I'm a little tired. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we should document that. Maybe we should. Mm, yeah, this coffee tastes not good. Oh, that's a shame. Mm, what's wrong with you, coffee? Why are you salty? Hey, maybe I put some salt in me. What are you gonna do about it? I'm coffee. You know, that's, I that's... will give a tip out to to the fans. If your coffee is a little too bitter, what you can do is put like a pinch of salt, and it'll take that bitterness right out of it. But don't put too much, because then it becomes salty. Oh, salty coffee sounds terrible. It's not good. I, maybe it's just because it's just like the last of, my, of the coffee I was using. Oh, there you go. Just the it's it's essentially like how you get the bottom of the bag cereal. Yeah, but with coffee, like the crunchy, loose parts. <clears throat> I understand that. Can't tell if it's too weak or too strong. I don't know. Uh, it's just it's just wrong. Rest in peace, Christopher Plummer. <laughs> he, I mean, that crow in the back. There was a tweet. Great when that happens. I know that crowd's fucking perfect. I saw a tweet where it was Christopher Plummer once again taking a role that should have gone to Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that was good. Damn it! Yeah. Happy Super Bowl Sunday from the boys at. Are you ready for Two Super Bowl? <laughs> a Monday night party. You got Ben these... and Tyler. They're talking about documentaries. Come on, dropping... my rider friends, it's documentary night. What's the double that's dropping this week? <laughs> it's dropping on like Super Bowl Sunday. The oh, Changeling least. and Nori. Oh yeah, that's not even close to football related. I love it. That's good. Yeah, we really botched that one, huh? Yeah, I, sta- I stand by ghosts. Screw them. I listened to it last night. It came out great. Yeah, I think that's good. They can go to hell. That Listening crow. to Nori, equally as scary. Yeah, Nori's a very scary movie. I set my phone down last night because you have to record off your phone like to get the, the video. And I set it down and I turned to Brianna, who was just working on photos that she was in. I said, if you hear Japanese people screaming, ignore that. It's my phone. <laughs> I don't know how better to explain it. That was just the best way I could say it. When the final reel is spun And the credits have been run You can count on the wisdom Of these two white guys talking film Just two white guys talking film Welcome everybody to TWGTF Or as everybody knows it from fun spot to a not so fun spot this is Two White Guys Talking Film. I am, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. I was going to say New York, but I was like, no. Nah, a nah, closet gotta... in New York could have been a good one. Yeah, it's true. Well. It's too late now. Sure. We're out. It's already yeah. recorded. In the ether, as, as they say. <laughs> you know what? Documentaries. I, I am so curious. We have never done this before. I was thinking about like stuff that we hadn't done. And I was just like, well, we haven't done a award-winning movies before. I mean, we have in, like, the sense um, of, like, an Oscar movie, but, like, not, like, an overarching, just, like, award-winning. That's um, true. That is true. And we've never done documentaries before. So I was like, well, combine them, you know? Award-winning documentaries. Let's see. 
before the documentaries. You want to talk about the most captivating thing you saw this week? I yeah, I have a couple actually. I have two. Oh well, good. Oh, I have no I have one, but it probably covers your two. Do you want to go first, or should I go first? No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay, I'll go ahead. So I watched uh, a brand new documentary from Rodney Asher, or Roddy Asher, who directed Room Two Thirty Seven and The Nightmare. And actually has oh, a movie. Oh, you actually watched that movie you sent me the trailer for. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I thought that was coming out. Okay. No, no it's out. It, it oh, released okay. this week. It's it just released on like Amazon and stuff like that for rent. So you should rent it. He actually has a movie that he helped edit and put together that's in my top 10 of last year. So we'll be talking about that next week. But yeah, I don't really want to spoil too much of it, but if you know Rodney Asher, you know that he likes likes to let people kind of talk and explore their views on the world. And this movie's called A Glitch in the Matrix. It just like it just came out. It played at Sundance to like a kind of a mixed reception of people who either loved it or people kind of hated it. <laughs> I mean, it kind of looks like that movie. Yeah. So it's a real love or hate it, but if you've seen like The Nightmare or Room 237, then you kind of know what to expect. Room 237, Christ, there's a movie. Which, if you don't know what those movies are, Room 237 is about people and their varying beliefs on what happened and what The Shining means and is about. And so a lot of it is just like letting people talk over images of The Shining. It's a great documentary if you've never seen it. Wonderfully put together, because it's nuts. It's nutso. The other one is The Nightmare, which is about... People experiencing sleep paralysis and all sorts of different experiences around sleep paralysis. And so that's a very good and very interesting movie. This is about people who believe we are stuck in a simulation. And it goes from like a very typical Roddy Asher documentary where it goes from like normal. I'm like, okay, I can kind of understand this to like just the most bizarre thing and i think it's great i really liked it it's currently the only movie i've seen from 2021 but it's still number one so we'll see if it hangs on there i just wanted to mention it i'm not going to get into any spoilers because it's literally just came out but i think people should watch it it was only five dollars on amazon prime it's i'm pretty sure it's only five dollars anywhere so yeah worth a rent oh man i'm looking into this the other movie I watched, I just finished, that's the reason why I'm a little late, is a little movie from the 1970s shot but by a ragtag group of people in Florida called Mr. No Legs. I <laughs> went to the video store recently and was looking through the new section and saw a movie by the name of Mr. No Legs, which stars a man who was a Marine who had his legs amputated in his youth and be the in spite of that became a karate grandmaster and the movie is fucking insane i'm sorry (laughs) i need to clarify one thing with you just just for the audience i understand this i'm just Uh clarifying it for them in this movie where there is a man who has no legs who Uh you are telling me in real life became a karate grandmaster Uh does he do karate to people in the movie Yes, from a wheelchair. Okay, okay, please proceed. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I just wanted um, to make sure, because it was like, and he turns out he's a chef, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, this is a turn. What was the karate thing about? He does karate. He has a wheelchair that has side-mounted double-barrel shotguns. <laughs> 
that he shoots. Tell me it's on it. DVD. Tell me you can rip a copy. Come on, just just <laughs> just let me hear it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a way to find it. Oh god! It was recently put out. I want people to to if they're interested to find legitimate sources for it. It was recently put out by Massacre Video. Please support them because whatever they're doing is fucking incredible. And it was the only surviving 35 millimeter print from France. So they scanned that and then made a composite uncut film with the surviving VHS release of it, which was under the much worse title of Gunfighter. (laughs) Mr. No Legs. I mean, sorry. What are we doing here? The whole movie sells itself. Mr. No Legs is going to get me into the movie theater. I mean, if I saw a poster that said Mr. No Legs with what you've described thus far as a man who can do karate, because I assume there's a bandana, and he has a wheelchair with double-mounted shotguns, yeah, I'm going to that movie tomorrow. No, (laughs) fuck it, I'm going to that movie yesterday. That's why I rented it, as I picked it up, saw the name was Mr. No Legs, saw the cover was a guy in a wheelchair shooting people with guns from his wheelchair, and I was like, okay, cool. Uh, That sounds awesome. And it was. That's why I was late to the Tell me the tagline is, nobody suspects the guy in the wheelchair. I I don't remember what the tagline is. It's probably equally as bonkers. The final, like, ten minutes is, like, a driving movie. It's so strange. I don't understand. I'll I'll see if I can find a way to get you a copy, but God, was it fun. I can't wait. You know what? It's funny. I was going to be mad at you being like, oh, we almost did the whole thing documentary. But luckily, (laughs) I also saw something this week that was captivating. And now it's become it's going to go up there in our official picks because both of us have spoken about it. And then I'll get to the other thing I watched because I have two things. I showed them eight millimeter. (laughs) And Stephanie jumps so hard when Machine jumps out and attacks fucking Nicolas Cage. It might be the funniest thing just to watch someone jump when that happens. My favorite thing about 8mm is it comes so close at so many different points to sticking the landing, but it just never does. This is my contention on 8mm. If he had a better backstory for why he's so dedicated to doing it, I could see it working. My pivot is have a worse backstory. No, no. His backstory is plenty. There is no backstory. His backstory is he has a wife and kid. It makes no sense. No, give him a better backstory. And I think that movie works. I think it works if you don't have the, the director and also don't decide to make everybody around him into cartoon characters. I think the movie could work. Wait, 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 wait. What about the director? I think he, I think the direction is a little weak at times. I think Schumacher's doing just fine. Like, I think there are times it suffers because of other things, but I don't think it's ever on him. Yeah. Like, I'm a Schumacher defender, but like, I think, I don't know. I don't know if that movie... There's no reason Peter Stormare is dialing it up. Like, Peter Stormare is doing some of his most outlandish, but like, measured insanity that I've ever seen in that movie. And like, he's nailing it. Like there's no reason that character should be that good, but it is. Joaquin Phoenix, dude, is incredible. They were both so sad when they, as as Stephanie called him, they killed baby Joaquin. Max California, I feel like was like the That's, early 2000s indie wrestling scene just in a bubble. Like it's like five different CZW wrestlers composited into one guy. I mean, not just that though. 
the, my other contention is this. If he lives, it's a better movie. I think it's a better movie if those people aren't. I mean, it's a different movie if, if, they're, if they're not cartoon characters. Because I think what they did try to do with Machine, which is just be like, he's just a normal guy. He's just a guy, like, in the suburbs. Like, he could be anybody. But then he's still, like, he listens to, like, Aphex Twin and is like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, if he was just, like, or a sad, could... meek dude, like, who's, like, doesn't want to die. Like, I feel like that would be, like, way more mm-hmm. aspects of that movie where I'm like, it's going to be better. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, agree to disagree. The other thing I watched, and full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, I had to get tested for COVID. I don't have it, thank God. Let's get this thing behind us. Wear your masks. Don't have uh, it yet. Okay, thank you. But the other thing I saw, because I had so much time off, I watched the documentary series, and it's a movie because it's all on one subject, The Last Dance. Oh, the Michael Jordan documentary. Yes, the Amazing. Michael Jordan documentary. Whew. <laughs> Dude, that is an incredible documentary. I need to watch it then, because I've been putting it off. And it's down the middle, dude. Like, it does not paint Jordan as a good guy. Like, it's like, it's black and white. It's like, it's like, yeah, he was kind of a prick sometimes. But that prickishness and that, like, monstrous demeanor he would have motivated us to be the greatest team and win six NBA championships in eight years. Yeah. The only like, time they lost is when he wasn't playing. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Which And Mark has funny. never seen Space Jam, so that's on the agenda. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Here's, here's the other thing, too, and this is how I pitched it to my father, because you I don't know if you're a Michael Jordan, like, you're a fan of Michael Jordan. I mean, I'm not a fan of Michael Jordan. I'm a fan of the Bulls. Point being is, this movie is an excuse not to just watch Michael Jordan talk, but talk to every other player on the Bulls and every other player who was big at the time. Dude, I don't give two shits about Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant shows up in this documentary for like five minutes, and it's legitimately heart-wrenching to watch. Uh, like, because you're just sitting there, because Kobe has just this moment where he says, he goes, I learned everything I know by watching that man play basketball. He goes, I hate when people ask who would win in a basketball mat- a basketball game between you and Michael Jordan. He goes, doesn't matter, man. He goes, he's Michael Jordan. Like, and you're just like, God damn, like that is just a sign of respect. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan is sort of the template for the type of player that would dominate the NBA. And he, he played in a time when that type of player, it was much harder for them to score because also, the game was so defense focused yeah. that it just was like, there wasn't the space that players get these days. And so someone was like talking about it and they're like, if Jordan came up now and was like Jordan, like had all of the same abilities and was like the same guy, he would probably score like 40 points a game. Cause it's just like, he just was so good at getting open and so good at creating space that like he did it in a time when it was much harder. (laughs) And so now that you have like pace and space and you have like these like offenses that, that do that to open up shots, like he would be 35, 40 points per game with like 15 assists. Like he would just be fucking, it'd be insane. It'd be like watching like a video game. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. Like he just like, it was a lot. I mean, you watch it too. And here's the thing too. They built them bigger back then. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, Jordan, like, also, too, I find it hilarious that, like, he tries to go face with 45 and it just doesn't work. 
<laughs> it was funny too. I was like, I was like, is forty-five his heel number? He goes, and Mark was like, no, twenty-three is his heel number. And he goes, watch. And like we watched the section where they show him playing as forty-five, and then twenty-three comes back, and I'm like, oh yeah, heel Jordan is definitely twenty-three. <laughs> yeah yeah he's a a, fascinating character but it's not just about him they do a whole episode on rodman dude that's the thing my dad always said about rodman he said he said say what you will about rodman he goes not a good human being but the man knows what to do on that court he also hard target oh john claude and him sue hark movie is that van damme and him i believe so it's it's bad but Sue Hark directed it. Who's Sue Hark? He's a Cantonese director from Hong Kong. He helped make Better Tomorrow 1 and 2, and also directed a bunch of movies in his own right. Hard Target. Is that Hard Target? No, Hard Target's the Woo movie. No, it's... No, it's right? Oh, it is John Woo, yeah. Double Team. Double Team. I thought that's the movie you were talking about. Double Team. Not Mickey Hard Rourke's in this movie? Well... You're going on the, what do you call it, list. Yes. The Johnny Mnemonic list of movies like this. The Johnny Mnemonic list. Which should be on that list, if it isn't, is The Net. Rewatched The Net recently. Okay. We should be talking about The Net. Oh, Scotty Pippen, too. You feel so bad for that dude. He just wanted a chance to be his own man, and he just never got it. No, no, not that. Like, how underpaid he was. Oh, yeah. $18 oh, yeah. million dollars for, like, five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. If someone, like, came out to me and said, if you work at Customing for five years, we'll give you $18 million, I'd be like, okay, yeah, like, like, but I'm not Scottie Pippen's level of famous, so I guess, like, I don't but know. But, like, but just, uh, uh, Scottie Pippen is, like, one of the greatest of all time. It sucks he had to play next to Jordan. Yeah. My father once described it to me like this. I was just running in uh, cross country in high school and Reno high just happened to have like an incredible men's team. I believe two of them went on to try out for the Olympics and one might have gone on to run for the Olympics. And what do you call it? My father told me, he said, he goes, you're really good at running. He said, you understand it. He said, the thing is you just happen to be running against like some of the best ones in Nevada. And like, I was like, Oh, it's nice to hear like knowing that like, it's not really because like they just had natural, that natural town. Say what you will about Scottie Pippen, like, like motherfucker was just next to Jordan. Like, that just happened to how it be. But the thing is, if you put them together, you couldn't stop them. Yeah, and they always, they also did a really good job of getting good secondary players, like Rodman. Oh, or, Rodman. Um, Her. Horace Grant was also really good. Oh, dude, when they tell the story about Pac and how, like, he lit Pac up with that shot <laughs> that Pac makes for, I think it's, like, the first one... And then, like, Kerr, he does it to Kerr, like, ten years down the way. Like, it's insane. This and O.J. Made in America are, like, maybe the two best sports documentaries I've ever seen. I never watched O.J. Made in America. I had it downloaded. Oh, dude, dude, it would, it would, I bet you it would go top five on your 20, your 2010s list almost immediately. Probably, yeah. We've documented what the best things we've seen are. We might as well move into the documentary section. You ever notice there's just ambient noise, like, in the documentary just, section? Just ambient noise. They're also just a guy, like, shooting a camera at us at all times. Yeah, but it's one of those old ones that he's turning. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's strange. Yeah. Well, might as well get on to it. And the first movie is a little movie from 2007. And in my opinion, if we're talking about The Last Dance and we're talking about 
OJ Made in America is another one of the best sports documentaries of all time that pits one of the most natural villains against a truly great babyface underdog, deftly captured in this showdown, and look into a subculture that is both fascinating and a little frustrating to follow, and definite following behind it. It is, of course, the 2007 film starring Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. There'll always be the argument that video games are meant to be played for fun. Believe me, some of it's a lot of fun. Video games are meant to be played at home, relaxing, on a couch, amongst friends. And they are, and that's fun. But competitive gaming, when you want to attach your name to a world record, when you want your name written into history, you have to pay the price. With this, it's just like me and the machine, I can, doesn't matter. If you, you know, if you let me down or someone else doesn't come through, I can always go out there. I'm in control. I'm glad you touched on this. We have an uptake. This is important. Everybody, even grandma, games, meaning checkers, cards, if not now, in the past. Show me even a frickin' nun or a hermit who hasn't done cards or checkers. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I play video games, which I think is far superior in addiction than any of those other ones. <laughs> I wanted to be a hero. I wanted to be the center of attention. I wanted the glory. I wanted the fame. I wanted the pretty girls come up and say, hi, I see that you're good at centipede. I had somebody draw an analogy for me once that I always remembered. The top French pilot in World War I shot down 24 enemy planes. The top American pilot, you don't know his name, do you? Nobody does, but it's Eddie Rickenbacker, shot down 26 enemy planes. The German ace, the Red Baron, everyone know, knows who the Red Baron is. That's because he shot down 87 enemy planes. I mean, he was the best. There's just, there's a level of difference between people. And it translates into some games. Donkey Kong and Pac-Man, and Ms. Pac-Man, and Galaga, and Defender. These are the games that caught the public eye. These are the games people cared about. And so, if you want to be known as being world-class, you got to master one of those games. I like the simplicity of it. And that's what you'll probably hear from a lot of people that, that like retro games, is that it's the simplicity. Those games challenge eye-hand coordination, mind-body coordination, fast reaction time, and comprehensive thinking on a level that modern games don't. Memorization and pattern recognition is key. Because for you to get a single point further in an old game from the early 80s meant a tremendous increase of skill. If you do not know the next pattern coming up in a Tron light cycle event, you will lose your life. Only the diehards who for some reason really love those games continue to stick with them. Tyler, by the way, before we get into the conversation, there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up if you'd like to see it. 
I fucking hate that guy. Oh, thank God, because me and Naomi were like, that guy sucks. <laughs> oh, dude, you hate Billy Mitchell, right? But like, oh God, yeah. yeah, you hate Billy Mitchell, but that guy sucks harder. So it's the thing where like Billy Mitchell has like charisma, and you kind of enjoy being around this insane person. You know, you know what it is, and I usually love this person, and I love it in the situation I'm going to give you. That guy who's like fucking with Steve Weeby the whole time is usually the X-Pac. And I usually love the X-Pac because like the X-Pac is like the Ebony Maw. Like he's just, he's always that, he's always the little lackey. He's, he's, uh, he's Grover Dill from A Christmas Story. You know, he's Cypher. He's the shit heel. I usually love the shit heel, mm -hmm. except for Johnny and the other guy from Naked. I do not like them. <laughs> that is a hard pass on the two guys from Naked. Yeah, two guys from Naked are rough. To, to Johnny, when he's not around women, I can get on board with. That's that's as much as I'm going to say. But I fucking hate that guy for that reason. It's like, oh, you are such a worm. I find it interesting the people who are in the documentary for a while, and then when the documentary kind of gets towards the end point, like, they just disappear. And it's very interesting to see who does that and who doesn't. Brian K does that. He's just like, after the fun spot thing, he's just like, I'm gone. Robert Merzsek also does that. Like, he just, like, I'm gone. I find it kind of interesting, like, people who, like, maybe realize, like, oh, I'm, like, not coming off good. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's, he's, like, an absolute bastard, like, in it. Give credit where credit's due. This movie does capture something very fascinating. Oh, yeah. I mean, I probably know a lot, a little bit more, because, like, I am a giant dork, and I like video games, yeah. um, about this, like, subculture. And this is interesting because this movie kind of comes out before speedrunning becomes like a real big thing. Mm -hmm. And speedrunning is an aspect of what's currently happening in this game. The, the difference is like it's like trying to beat a game as quickly as possible, whereas this is like trying to score the most amount of points, which I think is like kind of harder <laughs> in certain aspects. But yeah, I, I think they, for how short the movie is, 79 minutes it really does give you a really good look of like what this community looks like oh yeah and you've got your champions and you've got your heroes and you have your villains like this is not unlike the last dance kind of like you see these people and you're like oh they've done these amazing things but like at the surface they're really just people billy mitchell is so naturally hateable and like I don't know if it's just in the way he carries himself. So Billy Mitchell thinks he is the world's protagonist. Like he thinks he is like that American. Like oh, he says it at one point. Yeah. I mean, he thinks he's like Mark Spitz. You know what I mean? Like he thinks he's like this guy who should be considered like on Wheaties boxes and stuff like that. And it's so frustrating when you're like, no, dude, you're like, a fucking asshole like you're such a fucking bad person like it's so infuriating every time he's like i'm you know like everything he says is like a new way to piss me off it's so great it's like the, the most hateable heel of all time he's and, triple h like you know what i mean like he is he he is i mean he has the hair to prove it like yeah specifically then, like like D, if we're g continuing the dx yeah yeah <laughs> it really is yeah, because X-Pac does become his toady at one point. Yeah, he is Triple yeah. H. I think yeah. Brian He is... wants to be... He thinks he's Shawn Michaels. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Like he truly does. That's the worst part. Cause that's always what triple H's problem has been is he wants to be Shawn Michaels. He wants to be. Yeah, exactly. And then I think Brian is like X-Pac after he started hitting women randomly on SmackDown. <laughs> and people are just like, I fucking hate this guy. Like, get off. Oh, he, has go, he has go away heat. Yeah. Like yeah. you're just like, yeah. Like when he walks around doing that. So, well, we'll get to, we'll get to who he is. Billy Mitchell in 1983, thank you, was the Donkey Kong world champion. And that means like he got more points on Donkey Kong than anyone. And they had recorded it officially. And that record sat at like 853,000, right? Yeah, which is fucking incredible. If you if you understand Donkey Kong, that's a, that's amazing. The opening clip they're going to hear is the rules of Donkey Kong kind of being explained in those first mm-hmm. couple of minutes, because that's really geniusly that's, like set up. Yeah. I mean, the movie is about like setting the record for Donkey Kong. This is a documentary. This is real. Like these people exist. Yeah, there's an addendum to this movie that I have to talk about. So, oh, yeah, no, I know. We, we all know that's coming. OK, cool. And the next person to kind of challenge the record in 2000 and like four is just the most natural baby face of all time. Just Steve Wiebe. He's this just like Washington dad. He grew up in Seattle. Redmond is like kind of kind of west of Seattle. And he was an engineer. He's now a teacher. He bought a Donkey Kong cabinet and has just been like using it to study the game. And he sends in a tape where it's like he scores 947,000 points. And the tape is kind of sad. Derek, look. You're on TV. See yourself? Say hi. No. I was having a game of my life. I, was, I think I got 600,000, uh, and I hadn't died yet. And... And I start hearing some noises coming down the stairs, screaming. Daddy! I don't believe this is happening, guys. <laughs> Wipe your bottom? Yeah. I will in a second, bud. What? Okay, bring me some toilet paper, buddy. Derek, I got I'm gonna get the world record, Derek. Derek, I'm gonna get the world don't record. Don't wait, Derek. No! You stop it! It's all on tape, and I had—that's the tape I had to send into the Twin Galaxies. No, the tape is hilarious. It's funny, but it's—it's it's a little sad because it's like a dad just uh, like ignoring his kids to play video games. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could argue that, but like the kids know to like, hey, like dad's trying to do this for like i mean like i assume this comes with some sort of prize or something the prize is your name at the top of the leaderboard baby (laughs) that's fair yeah i don't think there's any like prize you win and Um, he submits this tape and well the kid is also being kind of a pill i mean the kid is like wipe my butt and the dad is like i just let me fucking finish this game (laughs) i don't think the kid actually needs his butt wiped i think he's just yelling that at his father wipe my butt is very funny yeah also, the kid's just kind of being a dick by yelling no more Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it to me sounds like the kid just like wants attention and the and the dad's been playing Donkey Kong for like three yeah. hours. You well, know what I mean? Like that's just what it seems like to me. Also, let me ask you something. Are these all the most beta male betas we've ever seen in a movie? 
Well, you would have to believe that beta male is a thing that exists, but I no, no, because I swear to God, dude, like they're just like dorks. how is there it's... no scene of Steve Weeby going up to Brian K and just being like, if you ever step to my house again, I will fucking end you, like I... motherfuckers. That's the second part. He sends in the tape, right? Mm-hmm. And then two fuckers show up to his house and want to take his Donkey Kong cabinet to look at it. And they take a picture of it and kind of make this fake claim that Roy Schilt sent him a cabinet. Who We'll have okay. to talk about Roy Schilt, because he's, well, he's a very interesting character. Before we get to Roy Schilt, who in the world of wrestling is Steve Wiebe? So Steve Wiebe is just the most white meat babyface of all time. Is he Daniel Bryan? I would say, yeah, Daniel Bryan. Like a guy because if you think about it, 83 to 2004... That's long enough to where, like, Billy Mitchell is now that Triple H facing Daniel Bryan at 30. <laughs> yes. One of my so, favorite wrestling matches of all time. Okay, so who the fuck is Roy Schilt, then, in the lineage of Billy Mitchell? I don't... I Roy Schilt is a fucking insane character, because I kind of hate him. Oh, uh, oh, you're supposed to. He's supposed to be a heel, too. He is Bobby Heenan hating Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then Hulk Hogan turns heel, and so he's like, "Well, I I'm also heel, but I hate this heel. <laughs> I just don't like him." That's pretty accurate, actually. Um, so Roy so Schilt is Roy Schilt, aka Mister Awesome, aka Roy Awesome, is a fitness gurus and pickup artist, self-proclaimed pickup artist, who his the video order. is problematic. It's. Very problematic. It's kind of funny, and it feels sort of winking in a weird way. You think so? Like a little bit, but like I still don't. It's still gross, and I don't like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it feels kind of like. Isn't this kind of a funny thing to say? But like in a way that's like you maybe shouldn't be joking about that. Anyway, he has the high, he claims to have the highest score in missile command. Him and Mitchell don't like each other. Schilt bought Weeby a board for Donkey Kong to put in his Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. A board, guys, is what makes it run. Yeah, a board is like the chips and all the stuff. It's essentially what the game is programmed into to make it work. And the fucking, the the squad, Brian K and, was it Robert Merznick? Or is it someone else? It was someone else, I think go to his house and, like, pull the board out and take a picture of it. And they're saying that the board has been doctored because there's, like, one too many chips or something like that, which is a very bullshit way of excusing his tape, essentially. They're essentially disallowing it, I think, personally, to keep Billy Mitchell on top, but also I feel like they don't know Steve Wiebe, like, at all, and so they kind of assume that this is, like, a doctored thing. Yeah kind of an interesting dichotomy the thing is they went to his house and like talked to his wife and the wife is like well steve isn't here right now so like you can come back and then they just broke in <laughs> to, and started fucking with his his machine anyway no it's fucked up because like steve does nothing he's so likable he's very likable he's like one of the most likable characters i think in all of documentary filmmaking like i just like i'm like i want this guy to win yeah you do and it really becomes an interesting thing because, man, he does play it like Triple H. He's like, no, I'm not coming out there. I'm not going to compete at Fun Spot. He goes, I have my record. He goes, let him do it there live. Give what you will. Billy Mitchell is a crafty son of a bitch. 
Yeah, I mean, he is. Son of a bitch is the opportune term, I think. And what ends up happening, what we end up, what we end up getting is we get Steve Weeby going to a place, fun spot, in hopes that like Billy Mitchell will show up. He goes there, he breaks the record live. I don't know if he breaks the record. No, he breaks. He scores like nine hundred thousand. He scores nine hundred thousand, but he also is the first person at Funspot to get to the Donkey Kong kill screen. Yeah, which is like two huge things. And every like you get Brian, who's a fucking weasel, going around telling people like, "Oh, if, in case you're wondering, there's got a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up." Essentially, to try to throw Steve Weeby off his game, my girlfriend kept. By the saying, way, you know who should have been fucking stepping in there. Walter, Walter Day. Day. Yeah, 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 fucker. You should have been like, hey, get the fuck back. Let the man do his thing. Walter is an interesting character because I think he also understands that, like, Billy Mitchell is where the paycheck comes from. He's an Earl uh, Hebner is what he is. He, well, I mean, he might be selling t-shirts in the parking lot afterwards. You don't know. Yeah. And so essentially you just get this weasel trying to, get, like, throw Seaweeby off his game. And we were joking while watching that Steve is is not going to be flapped by that because he's had sex, unlike these other nerds, which was maybe. I don't know. Little... I think Billy. I think Billy Mitchell's definitely had sex. Look at his wife. I mean, maybe he's got a type. I'll give him that. <laughs> Even the wives are fucking like heels and baby faces. It's just so fucked up. <laughs> oh, also China. That's who. That's who Billy Mitchell's wife is. Oh, that's I. I don't. I love China. I thought China was great. His wife, Molly Holly. <laughs> so he comes to Fun Spot, Steve Weeby does, because like the family and everyone behind him is like, go kick his ass. Yeah, he goes to Fun Spot, he he breaks it, he scores nine hundred eighty-five thousand six hundred points at the kill screen, which ends the game. But then, even though fucking Twin Galaxies, which is the company that is run by Walter Day, who we'll talk about at this at I think coming up, they were saying that they weren't allowing taped scores. Mitchell sends in a VHS of him scoring a million points. It's such bullshit. So you really believe that Walter believes like Billy is where the paycheck is. Yeah. And I think we'll get into it, but there's a, but what happens after all of this, like years later, like a decade later, I think kind of shows twin galaxy kind of moving on from, from uh, Billy Mitchell. It comes down to the fact that he does do this. He does beat the game and score the high score there. Billy Mitchell submits a score of him getting over a million points. But, like, the movie shows you... Oh, my God, you sent me an image. One of the scenes I love in this movie is the dudes, like, the trailer, hanging out, just playing video games, watching tapes. They are they are so... Like just a, a den of, of vipers and iniquity. Such a fucking pizza! I'm just like, oh my god, you're so lame. It's so cute. It is, but they are so lame. They're very lame. And I would hate to be at that party, but like, I'm just kind of like, oh, look at these nerds, like, hanging out with one another. Like, it's kind of cute. It's like, oh, they're friends. They don't have friends where they're from, but they're friends now at this moment. Oh, look at them. And so what ends up happening is Robert Merzak is saying that there's glitches and there's jumps on the score. But Walter Day allows it. On Billy Mitchell's score? Is that on right? On Billy Mitchell's tape score, there's, he says there's jumps. And this would lead to him stepping down after, like, like right, pretty much right after. He was just like, I don't believe that that's the proper score. He kind of sticks to his guns, like, I don't think that's right. And so he, he, he bounces. We get, like, a little title card that's like, he quit, like, 
during the making of the movie. So fucked up too, because you. I feel like Walter was like, "No, we're going with this one." Yeah, Walter says like, "I believe there's enough evidence to run with your score," even though like Robert, who's like the guy who watches tapes, like that's what he does to look for any inconsistencies. He's like, "I think there's glitches. I think there's. I think there's like jumping from score to score." Anyway, nine months later, Guinness Book of World Records is like going to publish some of the records, including that score by Mitchell. Weeby challenges once again to public competition. Mitchell keeps dodging him. But what we get is you get Mitchell's longtime friend, whose name I believe is Todd Rogers. I believe it's a Mr. Cuckold is what it is. Because... <laughs> uh... Is it Mark Alpiger? Maybe that's it. He met Mitchell after at like the meetup for like the first Donkey Kong thing. And he claimed to have like this high score and he got his fucking ass whooped. And he's been friends with Mitchell ever since. And he meets up with Steve and he starts to become like friends with Steve. He like becomes friendly with Steve and Steve's wife. And Steve doesn't break the record at the public competition, but he kind of proves to everyone that like he's really good at the video game like he oh, yeah. can play Donkey Kong as well and so Walter kind of was like well shit like this guy's good he's friendly he's nice and so like Walter essentially relents and lets him to publish and send in tapes of himself Mark ends up at the very at one of my favorite scenes is sitting next to Billy Mitchell and Mark says something along the lines of I think Steve's a good guy he's very good at Donkey Kong and his family and everyone's really nice. You just see Billy Mitchell just look furious. Like, he's getting red. Like, he's staring through him. It's so funny. You're talking about Mark Alpiger. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's like the friends with Mitchell. And so the movie ends with Weeby back at home, and he sends in a new tape of him beating Mitchell's score. And that's where the record stood at that point. It's since been broken multiple times. And is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into like kind of the aftermath? No, I think that's everything. What's what's the aftermath? So in 2018, long after Walter Day, who is a very weird character in his own right, which we didn't really talk about. He founded Twin Galaxies and was like kind of like the bookkeeper for a really long time. He retired. He stepped down in 2010 at the age of like 60 something. He, you know, to pursue different endeavors. And the people who run the forum uh, Twin Galaxies in 2018 began to look into discrepancies of Mitchell's records. And they accused him of using an emulator. Now, do you know what an emulator is? It, like, helps you, right? It's like a game genie. So it's not necessarily a game genie, but, like, if you want to play, like, Super Nintendo games, but you don't have a Super Nintendo, you can download emulation, which uh, plays it like Mm. it would be the software, but, like, on your computer or, like, on your phone. But with emulation, you comes the ability to, like, pause the game, to, like, go back, to, like, rewind if you die, essentially. And so, like you can use it to get a higher score because like you don't have to worry about dying. They basically accused him of using an emulator. They basically proved it with like, they're like the type of tape that he sent in would not be viable nowadays. Like no Mm. one would get past that. And the twin galaxies forum 
wiped all of Billy Mitchell's. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) So he really got his in the end. You cheated. Fuck you. That's the equivalent Um, of Shooter grabbing that gold jacket and uh, the guy from Jaws being like, I believe that's Mr. Gilmore's jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. And so Mitchell's basically been run out. He's currently suing Twin Galaxies, so we'll see what happens. But it's pretty funny. The Guinness Book of World Records took him down and then took it down and then put him back. So, you know, who cares what the Guinness Book of World Records says? Yeah, but guys from Dunk, from King of Kong to re- to make the second part. Yeah, I would love to see a follow up to this. But chasing Billy Mitchell, <laughs> chasing Billy Mitchell, essentially it doesn't even really matter that much because like those scores have since been passed like 10 times over but weeby continues to play and like last year broke the 1 million 100 mark so which is like a huge feat like very hard to do and i think currently has a score in the top 10 of donkey kong so weeby he's got lives on mitchell does not it was a real Daniel Bryan two belts at WrestleMania for him, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Where it, it, the glory may not have lasted very long, but when it happened, it happened, you know? Oh, That's for cool. sure. guess that goes on to what we would pair this with, Tyler. What would I pair this with? I would pair this with a little movie, a little documentary called Pumping Iron. <laughs> that is funny for so many reasons. It's like the perfect pairing, though, right? Yeah, you just talk about coming all the time. That's what it's all about. You have it's a weird look into like the, a weird world. You have a pretty perfect heel versus face dichotomy, and the heel kind of wins at the end. You know, it's kind of a perfect little match. And it's still winning, you could say. Still winning and still a heel. <laughs> Remember when he cut a video about staying at home, and then in the middle of the video, a little horse just walked through his living room. <laughs> It's like, God damn it, Arnold, if you do not entertain me at times, like remember when his marriage ended because he impregnated his his housekeeper? I mean, anyway, yeah, I do like, but I mean, like baller move, like it's not a baller move. No, it's not. How great is it, though? You know, what's his name? I think Joe Rogan had someone on and he goes, I remember always hearing this story. He would go over to Arnold's house. Uh, what was the guy from True Lies? Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold would come over to the house and he would always be hanging out and the one kid would be playing with the other kids. He goes, boy, that one really looks like you. And Arnold would be like, don't joke about that. <laughs> like, it's the one thing you couldn't joke about with Arnold, apparently. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! What's that? <laughs> just, just, just imagine meeting Arnold and being like, oh, "I kid kind of looks like you," and he's just like, "You shut up, <laughs> shut your mouth, Tom Arnold." <laughs> I bet he just turns on. I bet. I bet dad voice for him is Terminator voice. Go to bed <laughs> now. I guess. Wow, interesting. Pumping iron. You know, when I thought of, when I thought of that pairing, I was like, "That's a good pairing." I don't know if I've actually ever seen Pumping Iron. It's good. That's what I've heard. I'll get to it. What would you give the King of Kong a fistful of quarters? Also, it's like the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. You say the whole damn title. You gotta say the whole damn title. I would give the King of Kong a fistful of quarters. I give it a solid three and a half stars out of five. Nice. I would give this four out of five. Okay. I can see that. It's dude, this was probably one of my first documentaries I ever watched. Really? Yeah, this was like I didn't get into documentaries till way later. 
I think it's a really solid documentary. It's also short. It's like, yeah, that's kind of the other reason. Documentaries are a hard sell in some ways, but if you can make them short and sweet, boom, bam. I love a short, sweet documentary. Me too. Next one's not so short or sweet. Next one is is not long. I was gonna say long and 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 sour, but it's not either of those. Yeah, it's really not. The next one is a movie from 2020 and is a beautiful portrait of a man's passing filmed by his daughter in this incredible documentary before the actual act transpires. One part goodbye, another part love letter to the spirit of family is also deftly captured by Kristen Johnson, the daughter of the titular character. A definite, in my opinion, Best Picture Documentary nominee to be sure at the Oscars this year. This is the 2020 film, Dick Johnson is Dead. Just the idea that I might ever lose this man is too much to bear. He's my dad. Let's start walking. Just start walking to me. That's fantastic. I suggested we make a movie about him dying. (laughs) He said yes. She kills me multiple times. Action! The resurrected dad. Yeah, resurrected dad. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's upon us, the beginning of his disappearance. The thing I hate most about my memory loss is that it hurts people's feelings. You know that you woke up in the middle of the night last night. You got fully dressed. Do you remember any of that? No. Yeah. What can we do about that? I don't know. Everybody has to sort of prepare because everybody dies. I love life too much for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, sweetie, your father is is a wreck. It's just inevitable and a part of who we all are. Yeah. The fact that he's willing to keep doing this. He's doing for you with love. He's doing it for me with love. Yeah, he'll do anything for me. Can you just, like, put one arm up against the wall? Like, yeah, that's nice. (laughs) That is brutal. Boy, Dick Johnson is dead. Dick Johnson is dead. Yeah. What do we say about this? This movie's a bummer. Yeah, but uh, it not, but in the best way. But like in a good way, yeah. Like um, it's the idea of this movie is so clever. It is very clever. So the idea of this movie is Kristen Johnson's dad, Dick Johnson, is a clinical psychiatrist or was a clinical psychiatrist. He isn't currently. He was retiring during the making of the movie. So I guess was would be the, the way to phrase that, who it started suffering from dementia. And so the movie as like a way to like, kind of, I think, brace herself for it is a, about different ways that he could die in violent situations, essentially. Like he falls down some stairs, falls down some stairs, comes around the corner when a guy who's like a construction worker has a nail 
and like in a board and turns it wrong and just hits him in the throat. Like I believe he gets, I believe he gets hit by a car. I believe an air conditioner. They're all like really violent ways, but it's not the, but they're almost kind of comical in the way, like, cause she shoots them like it's a movie. She shoots them. Yeah. But she does it in like a very comedic. And then while those are happening, it's kind of about their relationship and about like him and like yeah. kind of capturing this person and kind of all of the funny, weird ways that we deal with impending death. I think that's like a really sweet movie. It's not linear, so there's no real way we can talk about like the whole plot. I think the best way to talk about it is to talk about Kristen, Dick, and then like kind of the way that they're dealing with it. And, you know, the reason she's doing it too, like it's not selfish or anything, but like when you see the small amount of footage she has of her mother... Like, because her mother passed away from the same thing. Yeah. And she talks about not having footage of her real mother, like not having footage of her. as like, yeah, like she has like she has this the shell really Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And that sucks to say, but that's what it is. But like she captures it with her dad. Her dad is still very there at the start of this document. Oh, my God. Scene in the fucking doctor's office where he can't remember four words. Yeah. It's Do you rough. see why this movie would make you think you have Alzheimer's? Like, yeah. 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 I don't know if the Lord knew this was going to happen or whatever entity is out there, but could they have casted a better person for Dick Johnson? <laughs> he plays himself very well, and he's a very cute old man. He's adorable. Like, you just yeah. don't want anything bad to happen to Dick Johnson in the first five minutes. And you're right. The movie takes them through this, like, wonderful, beautiful, like, I don't know, him just kind of reliving his life going through it, but all the time, like, it's getting slightly worse. Mm-hmm. You can tell, because the movie is, I mean, it's slightly linear, but they kind of jump back and forth between all sorts of stuff, and so you do slowly start to see him become worse and worse, and the movie kind of captures that in, like, a terrifying detail. I think the things that scare me the most are just, like, him like waking up and thinking there's a patient at like three o'clock in the morning or like him, like for, like you said, forgetting four words. And like, what's scary is that the doctor's like, can you remember this word? And he'll remember the, the, like the word and it's like definition and how to use it. But when she's like, can you remember the four words I told you yesterday? Yeah, he can't. It's like the short term memory is what's going. Oh, that's and so just. Well, and, and he's a guy who like used his mind to help people. That's yeah. the worst part. This isn't like some guy who was like, it was like, oh, he was always happy and carefree. He never really thought that much. Like, this is what this guy did for a living. Like, he had to remember things. He had to help people think. And like, you're just watching a great mind deteriorate before you. And she doesn't deal with it well either. Like, like say what you will. Like, she tries to be as objective as possible, but she's watching her father slip away. Like, mm-hmm. in the same way that I think she watched her mother slip away. I mean, there's moments where they they talk about like, this is how mom must have felt, and like how scary that that is. That's that's rough. It's a real fucking. That's real rough. I mean, he says it like a dot. I mean, like the 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 description on IMDb is perfect. A daughter helps her father prepare for the end of his life. Like. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. Seriously, dude, like, I'll tell you where it almost got me, and it might get me here. When they show heaven, like, mm-hmm. or, what, or whatever the next thing is, like, what it's, it might not be heaven, who knows. But whatever the next thing is, like, just that moment where, like, they put those two big faces 
of like him as a younger man and her like dancing together. It's fucking incredible. Like that was the moment I was like, this is going to win best fucking documentary. And if it doesn't like, there's only one other thing this year that I think can, can really contend with it. Well, that's not true. There are two things this year that I think could really contend with it, but there's no chance the Seattle Mariners documentary is ever going to be fucking nominated. <laughs> I'm serious. I wish I knew how we could help that documentary get nominated. Help which documentary? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> History of the Seattle Mariners, uh, best picture, uh, 20... No, 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 no. Just best documentary nominee. I think it, I think it has grounds to be nominated. Uh, both. Like I said, there's only one other thing this year I think that can kind of contend with it. But I don't know if it's as accessible as this is. Like, this really does a nice job. Ugh, I don't know. And you said it, you've seen other work of hers before. Yeah, there's... She did a movie... I mean, she was, for a very long time, a cinematographer. And she worked on some documentaries like Citizen Four and The Oath. And she released her own documentary called Camera Person, which consists of, like, kind of footage that she had. And it's just, it's just like, about... It's just sort of about herself. It's kind of an autobiography about shooting, you know, documentary footage, essentially, hmm. and how documentary footage is, like, can be manipulated to kind of, like, show certain things. And it's a very interesting, very cool documentary that came out in 2016. Yeah, this is kind of her follow-up to that. Like I said, that came out in 2016. It used sort of leftover footage that she kind of had from some other documentaries that she had worked on. And it's a very sparse documentary. It's just a lot of like narration over footage. I've been meaning to rewatch it because I think I watched it like a while ago and I, I maybe don't remember it fully. So yeah, I would like to go watch it again. It was put out by Criterion actually. They put out an edition after it was released. Hmm. I mean, what's your favorite scene in this movie? I think the f- fake funeral. That That's really have. good. Oh, his because little it's... Irish friend who loses it. Little Irish friend who loses it because it's just a bunch of people like coming together to have like a fake little memorial. And his friend does the speech and just starts wailing, and it's very funny. Um, it's It's sad, though, it's not because he's really losing it, he's really losing it. But he goes to play a song on his like little horn, yeah, and he turns and it's just like. And it's that is hilarious. That's funny. Yes, that part is very funny. Because it's it that to me feels very Twin Peaks. <laughs> well, that's, like that's that, him jumping on the coffin in in um exactly. in Twin Peaks. Yeah, like that to oh. me feels Lynchian. And she has that too. Anytime you're in kind of a dream sequence or something that's being shot for the purposes of like we're in the fake world, kind of of Dick Johnson dying, like it works so well. Personally speaking, it's the feet scene for me. I think that is so cute. It's very cute. Because he and has weird feet. Like He's born with like a, a genetic disease where he doesn't have, like, his toes are kind of like, I forget what it's called. But it's like his toes are essentially like... They're not grown like, out, really. No, they're just like little nubs. And yeah. it's he's very self-conscious about it. And like, they kind of, they pick the idea. Because the idea is essentially, she's like, well, what do you want when you get to heaven? Like, or wherever it is. And he goes, I'd like my feet fixed. And like, they do this thing where they replace his feet, like in the movie with like normal, like good looking feet. And like, they just cut back and forth between him and these feet. It's it's great. Like, the movie is about the spirit of life. Like, that's what I really appreciate about this film. It's truly like just a movie about like the human spirit. Yeah. And kind of like resilience and how to essentially grieve someone who hasn't died yet. 
Yeah, it is. Um, well, the last the last moment of it. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. It's her in her closet, mm-hmm. um, trying to get through the narration, and essentially, it's just like trying to find a way to say Dick Johnson is dead, right? And yeah. then when she kind of hits it, she opens the closet, and he's there, and he hugs her. It is hurt. a it is a really beautiful last moment. It's a very sweet little ending. Yeah, I just it's it's a really good look at how hard it is to deal with people when they start to lose it. Like Alzheimer's is one of those things where it's it's like people have talked about it. It starts as kind of funny. Like it starts in a realm where you're like joking with them and like, oh, I'm forgetful. And then it gets to to be not funny and it just becomes sadder and sadder because eventually they're they're not even yeah. themselves no, anymore. No, they're not, they're not there. Yeah, they're just they're just they're gone. And I think this movie kind of there's there's a couple of moments like when he gets hit with a nail. There's a couple of moments where he's clearly doesn't kind of understand what's going to happen. And they tell him like, oh, we're using fake blood. And they have to like that, yeah. his fake blood because he's, he'll start thinking it's his own blood. And then he, there's a moment where he's acting and it's very cute. And he's like, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And then like he stops and becomes like actually scared. And you can tell that he's like really scared actually. Yeah. And they yeah. have to stop. They have to stop shooting for the day. And it's moments like that that are really heartbreaking. Well, yeah, because like he wants to do, and the thing is too, and it's it's the one thing he never loses throughout the entire, and I mean entire run of the movie. He never loses his ability to want to just help. That might be the most beautiful thing about the movie. Every time he is in a room, you can tell he wants to help in any way he can. Like, mm-hmm. and he never loses his positivity like mm-hmm. about anything like he it's just so sweet like like when they there is this moment where like three people help him sit in a chair the fact that they bring his chair everywhere might be one of the best parts of this movie <laughs> he has this awesome little chair that has like a footstool and he just sits in it and like they help him into it and like there are so many people around him when they do it because it's like nobody wants dick johnson hurt in this movie like it's so cute he's still alive too he is that's good it's good to hear i kind of love the little family weird family dynamic that they have where it's like a new york apartment conjoined with ira Sachs and his husband and they share custody of like three kids so, so that was the question mark and i had so the husband of of the two children is gay with another guy correct not the husband of the two children he's the dad of the two children the dad of the two children is yeah. in a relationship with another man is that what it, we were understood yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what we thought. We were like, wait, wait, so who's the who's the children's like sperm donor then? So Johnson co-parents her twins with married couple Boris Boris Torres, that's a fun name, and filmmaker Iris Sachs. And I don't know. <laughs> oh, so so they may have just gotten it, like... it. I'm sure that one of them or both like I don't know, one of them donated that and and anyway, they just co-parent together and I think she has like another kid, or maybe not, I don't know. But they share an apartment next to one another in New York. That's adorable. Uh, Who is Iris Sachs? Iris Sachs is a filmmaker. He I guess his best known movie would be He's he makes like art movies. I guess Little Men would be his best known movie. Oh, I oh, think Love he, is Strange is probably his best known. Oh, movie, I think actually. Keep the Lights On is an underrated masterpiece. 
That was a big hit when I came, or not a big hit, but that was like a. I'm joking. I know none of these movies. I just looked up Iris Sax. <laughs> oh, I mean, you, you hit the movie that is like considered like. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Um, Nailed it. But Love is Strange was pretty popular when it came out. It stars. Is it Alfred Molina? And fuck, what's the other guy's name? Oh, I, I've seen this movie. Yeah. That oh, was like, this movie's about Alzheimer's. That was like a pretty small little hit and it was about like them getting married that's um, right i did see this movie and so yeah he's kind of came up out of the new queer cinema of the late 90s early the, the mid to late 90s and yeah he had a movie frankie which was at played at for played in competition at the 2019 con film festival so like he's considered a pretty big guy you know both his films, Keep the Lights On and Love is Strange, both ended up in those years' Cahiers du Cinema's top ten list. So he's a pretty well-respected art film director. Damn. I'll be dang. Who would have known I would have seen an Iris Axe movie? Who would have known? Love yeah. is Strange was, was pretty popular. It was Love is it, Strange Love is Strange I remember doing like really well, like for yeah. our theater. That's one of those like old people Oh yeah. <laughs> type movies <laughs> like when it's senior monday watch the fuck out love is strange yeah. is gonna do like 65 tickets for some reason on a He's monday like, okay all right i those are my favorites was going to see like a random movie at like at like 12 o'clock and just being packed with old people it's <laughs> like fuck the npr crowd here represent who else wants to talk about the uh about the republicans <laughs> what would you pair dick johnson as dead with that's a good question I had a pairing and I totally forgot it. Yeah, the bridge. Um, not the bridge. Not the bridge. The movie I'm pairing with the, with Dick Johnson instead is Gates of Heaven, which is kind of an out there pick. It's a movie about about people who people about animals essentially who have passed and like people and like how they uh, oh, grieve. Yes, and like the rise of uh, pet cemeteries. In like California, I have seen this like movie. That. I saw this a million years ago. It is the very first Earl Morris documentary. Who, again, when Ben was, we were going to do a different a- intro where I had like a top five documentary films. Uh, Thin Blue Line was on it. Earl Morris, great documentary filmmaker. Are they all Errol Morris films? They could be. I mean, because isn't Fog of War an Errol Morris movie? No, Fog. Oh, Fog of War is Night in Fog. It was the movie that I had online. Yeah, remember that was the one you couldn't remember for Night and Shadow. Yeah. Or, or Shadows and Fog. Shadows and Fog. No, Night, 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 and, Night and Fog. Night. Well, Night and Fog is the movie you're talking about. I'm talking about Shadows and Fog. Shadows and Fog. What's that? That's the Woody Allen movie. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's a good movie. Sure. You'd like it. I'll Maybe. take your word for it. I'm yeah. not. I'm never watching a movie by Woody by redacted. I'm never watching a movie by redacted ever again. I'll make sure to cut out the one where say Woody Allen. Now, Night in Shadow, that's our movie. It's going to be our noir movie. The whole thing takes place at night. But what do you give Dick Johnson as dead? I give Dick Johnson as well, I think. Uh, actually, you know, I think I give it four out of five. Yeah, I'll give it four out of five. I'm giving this four and a half out of five. This was on the doorstep looking in on my top ten. Damn, you got four and a half on a five on your on your on your ten. Man, I, I think I have one movie that I gave a five on my on my top. No, I 10. think I don't. I'd have to look to see if there was one movie. I'll know what that movie's gonna be. 
Yes, yes, Not we even do. Really, a movie. Oh, it's a movie, all right. <laughs> they did put it out in like the five-hour full-length form. So, did they really? That's yeah. awesome. Good for them. And speaking of top tens, next week it's part one of that. Part one, ten through six. Ten through six. I'll tell you guys full disclosure. There were a couple times this last year where I looked at Tyler and I said, are we doing a top 10 list for 2020? We had a backup uh, for a little while that we just didn't do. It was 1985, I believe. 1985, and it would have just been me putting Runaway Train five times. No, you would have put Yes Ma'am over. Oh, yeah, I think I would have put Yes Ma'am over. And I have plenty of stuff from that era that would have really upset you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But we are actually going to be doing a top 10 list for 2020. Yeah, I'll say this. I'm more impressed with what came out near the end of the year than I have. And I'll be honest, I have almost seen, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of your 10 I have yet to still see. Wow. I need to see one, two, three. Four, five. I need to see five of yours. Okay. It's pretty good, I'd say. It's pretty solid. Yeah. And for next week, we will be doing 10 to 6. And we will be talking about the first half of our top 10 list for 2020. What a weird year it was. And honestly, guys, go easy on us for this year's list because I can't really tell if anything was good. I didn't see it in theaters for the most part. Like, there are two movies that are on my top 10 list, I think, solely because I kind of saw them in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by my, my top 10 list I stand by it to be sure but like I mean there was a long time where a wrestling match sat on my top 10 and I was like no fuck it it's gonna be on there it's the best thing I saw this year I don't give a shit nothing else was in theaters yeah it's been a weird year for theaters for movies it's been a really weird year yeah it really really does guys if you want to follow all of these antics follow us at TWGTFpod on twitter you can follow me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic. Tyler, is there anywhere they can follow you? They can follow me to my own funeral while I'm still alive. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I've of course been your host, Ben. And I've been Donkey Kong Jr. And remember, guys, if you come into our store and you see a giant gorilla with some barrels around him, well, we hired Donkey Kong for the day. Hey, we, we might have a Donkey Kong kill string coming up, guys. Guys, we might have a Donkey Kong kill string coming up if you're interested in that. Hey, 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 Tony, we might have a Donkey Kong kill screen if you're interested in that. Just two white guys talking film. Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you gotta hang tough to make it. History repeats itself, try and you succeed. Never doubt that you're the one And you can have your dream You're the best around Nothing's 
Oh my god. My favorite is when the the was the WWE 2K20 came out. And it was like Molly Holly. And they're like, oh my god, Molly Holly's gonna be in the game. And it just looked like some fucking like like that didn't look like Molly Holly. It just looked like some lady. <laughs> Hold on, now I gotta look up WWE 2K Molly Holly. It's bad. Making sure that's what you're referencing. Yes. Okay, fair just, enough. That looks just, nothing like Molly Holly. It just looks like a woman who's like a manager at Claire's. Like it's just like, okay, I guess that is Molly Holly. I'll take your word for it. You know Molly Holly worked here. It's that it's that moment in Seinfeld. You don't think he meant John Voight the actor? He goes, That's the genius of it. As someone who loved the Holly siblings and, and Molly Holly, I'm like, that looks nothing like Molly Holly. Yeah. You give her a short little a short little Rosemary's baby haircut, brown it up, and that's it. It's not that hard. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Well, that takes us on to our next one. Are we going to do ratings? Oh, yeah. You know, we could if someone wouldn't be rushing me to get to the next one. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> I watched a great episode of South Park this week. Um, I gotta tell you, I did not appreciate truly how good Mr. Garrison as Trump was in the season that they pulled that stuff. What do you call it? There's a moment in there where like Randy calls him up, he goes, I'm in trouble, and he goes, Oh, geez, Randy, what happened? He, like he tells him, he goes, he goes, No, that's what they did to you. And he goes, What do you mean? He goes, Oh, Randy, it's classic reversal and attacking them. Be like, go ahead, tell me what you did. Attack me like I'm you. And he goes, well, you blew up our yard. He goes, no, you blew up my yard, you psychopath. He goes, you going to blow it up again? Like, And I was, I was just like, yeah, that's how you flip things on people. Just be like, yeah, Tyler, you made me late. Or you made me rush through it. We didn't almost do ratings. Sorry, Donkey Kong. You're just not a draw anymore. <laughs> hey, he's still got 